0: Let me pray for us as we get going this morning. God, we love you. Thank you that in love you predestined us to be adopted, to be called the sons and daughters of God. We thank you that in love you sent your son Jesus Christ to be an atoning sacrifice for our sin, that we could be redeemed. Lord, we're in awe of your love for us. And we do pray, like that song said, that you would speak to us this morning from your word. Holy Spirit, move, teach us, encourage our hearts, grow us in greater Christ-likeness. Sanctify your people like Jay was praying. Let us be more like you in holiness and righteousness. And Lord, encourage us, too, through this time, we pray, for your sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I would love for you to open your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. So I was um, looking at the calendar. We're going to be in John, 1 John for a couple more months, and then we're going to do a short series called Heartbeats, where we're just going to talk about some of the essentials of the church. And then we're going to go into Genesis, which I'm excited about. And don't worry, we're not going to go through Genesis two verses at a time. Uh, otherwise, we'd be in Genesis for the next ten years. But we will be in Genesis for a little while, and I think it'll be, it'll be cool. So while you're turning to 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, a prominent news anchor said this week on national TV, he made a stunning claim. He said that churches really need to re-examine themselves and their teachings because God is not about hindering people or judging people. That's what he claimed on national TV. I don't normally indulge smug, anti-Christian, ignorant elitists when they make condescending remarks like that. But I thought that in light of 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, that maybe we should take him up on his challenge. And let's do that this morning. I think it's appropriate to accept his invitation to re-examine the teachings of the Bible this morning to see if maybe this news anchor is correct. Is God about judging people? Is God about hindering people? Let's take a look at our verses from 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. The Apostle John writes, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Well, if we're going to take up the challenge that this news anchor gave to Christians this week, and we're going to re-examine our teachings, whether God, regard, or whether God judges people, I think there's two striking phrases in these verses. The first one is in verse 17, where the Apostle John speaks of this thing called the Day of Judgment. And the second striking phrase would be in verse 18 where the Apostle John reminds us that fear has to do with punishment. Man, brothers and sisters, without the day of judgment and the intention of God to punish sinners, you have no Christianity. It goes away. And it's simply incomprehensible to me that you could actually read the Bible from Genesis 3, where God judges Adam and Eve and sentences them, punishes them with death, to the other end of the Bible in Revelation 20, where God judges all people before his throne, and miss God's intention to judge all people and to punish sin. I don't know how you could actually read the Bible and miss that very key point. Now John is supposedly the apostle of love. His letters focus on love, brotherly love, love one another. And even he cannot avoid talking about the day of judgment and fear of punishment. And the reason why the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news is because In Christ's death, God punished Jesus for the sins that we did in opposition to him. And God judged Christ in our place with the judgment that we deserved so that those who hope in Jesus would be set free from that fear. I mean, the Christian gospel is good news because it tells us through Jesus Christ, we can escape judgment and punishment And you take away judgment and sin and punishment and wickedness, and Jesus died for nothing. He was not some amazing guy, if you remove that. He was a fool who died for no reason at all. And friends, the day of God's judgment is approaching. It is closer today than it's ever been in human history. It's coming And it's actually good and right that a God who is good, who is just, who is holy, it's good and right that God would judge mankind and punish evil. Because if God didn't do that, then he wouldn't be good. He wouldn't be just. Turn with me to Romans 3. We're going to come back to 1 John, so maybe you want to put a bookmark in there. In Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10, we get a really intense description of the plight of mankind. The Apostle Paul writes in chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, this is coming from the Old Testament, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Paul's describing me. He's describing you. He's describing every person in their natural state. And this is why there must be a judgment, because man has vandalized the peace that God initially placed in his creation, and in pride, God has mounted an insurrection against the Lord of all things. And make no mistake, God is about judging people for sin. That's why Jesus died, so that you could escape that judgment. There's literally hundreds of passages from the Bible that we could go to to examine this concept more further. We're just going to leave it at that brief this morning. I want to move to the solution because I don't want to spend all morning talking about the problem of judgment. Let's talk more specifically about the solution. Turn with me back to our verses from 1 John chapter 4. Because John's point is that we don't need to be afraid. We don't have to be uncertain about the day of judgment. We don't have to live in terror regarding what might happen on that day. The Bible is very clear about judgment because the Bible wants to drive people to Jesus for rescue. So that you don't have to bear that judgment yourself. The Bible points us to Christ for hope and salvation. The story doesn't end with judgment. The story ends with redemption and restoration. At the very end, mercy triumphs over judgment. And although God does intend to punish all sin and wickedness, he's made a provision for us to escape that judgment. So that we don't have to live in dread of the coming day when Jesus will, in fact, return. John says in verse 17 of chapter 4 that we can have confidence for the day of judgment. That means that we're going to be able to actually stand on that day of judgment. We're not going to be crushed by God's wrath. We're not going to be cast aside. We're not going to be condemned when God judges each person for the things that they did in this life. Now, how does John know this? Where does that confidence come from? Let's look again at verses 16 and 17. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. So through our faith in Jesus Christ, God's love abides in us. John makes two really amazing claims in verse 17. The first claim is that because God's love abides in us, love is perfected with us. This word perfected is an interesting word. I'll spare you the gritty details, but in Greek, the tense of the word communicates a completed action that has been done to us. It's passive and it's perfect. In other words, God's love towards us is done. It's complete. It's, it's fully grown. It's, it's been completely matured. It's a work that's already accomplished and it's accomplished by God on our behalf. While we ourselves are not yet fully loving towards God and fully loving towards others, God's love for us is completely already done. It is abundantly poured out upon us in the fullest measure to the greatest extreme. God cannot love you more than he already currently loves you. He's not growing in love for you. He's not waiting for you to be more loving. God's love for you will never be greater than it already is. It's it's perfected. It's completed. God loves his children, you and I, to the fullest measure now. And think about this. This truth is the end of all striving to be accepted. And so much of our lives with people, bosses, neighbors, spouses, aren't we just always striving to be accepted? God's love for you is perfected. And that should be the end of all striving to be accepted. When we understand God's love for us, that it's already to its fullest measure because of what Jesus has done for us, we can drop all of our efforts to try and prove ourselves to God. We embrace the truth. No one is righteous. Not even we are righteous. Not in a way that would make God accept us. And then in surrender and peace, we simply accept the gift of grace that God has freely given to us in Christ. And I know from private pastoral conversations with people that many people who call themselves Christians are still constantly, desperately trying to earn God's love. We don't have to. I would simply tell you if you are one of those people, that God's love, like John says, is already perfected with you, it's done. He's not impressed with your efforts to make him love you more. He already loves you completely through what Christ has done for you. There's nothing left for you to do but to simply just rejoice and receive the affection that he offers you. You can have confidence for the day of judgment because God has judged Jesus for your sins. And in place of that judgment, now God gives to you freely the love that he has for his own son, Christ. What a beautiful truth that is. Like Jesus taught in Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And this points us to the other wonderful thing that John says in verse 17. He says that as he is, so also are we in this world. John does not mean here that we are perfect, like God himself is perfect in heaven, what he means is that as God looks at us, even now in this life, he sees his perfect son in us. Even now as we remain in this life, still struggling with sin, dealing with sanctification, trying to press on, we are already even now completely folded up into the love of God. We're already embraced as his beloved children, we're already adopted into his family. When God looks at us, he sees in us the perfect righteousness of Christ because Jesus shed his blood for us. True, we're not yet perfect. That's why in the following verses 19 through 21 that we're going to look at next week, we're called to press on and we're reminded of our obligation to love one another. We're going to have to deal with that. But just here in verse 17, John only wants to encourage us by grounding us in this truth. God's love abides in us here and now in this world just as God's love abides in Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father in his resurrection glory. And this is another reason why we can have confidence at the day of judgment because God's love reigns over us. Although we rightly deserved wrath and punishment for our sins, instead God has given us grace and favor and acceptance and forgiveness. We're no longer under wrath. We're no longer under judgment because Christ took that wrath and he took our judgment and he gave to us instead peace and grace and hope. The very love of God himself. And this is an objective reality. That means it's a fact. Notice how John uses the word being here. He does not say, as he is, so we act in this world. I mean, yes, we must strive to act in a godly way, but that's not what John is saying here. The Bible does teach that in other places, but that's not what Scripture is teaching us here. What we're being told here is that just as Jesus Christ is God's beloved and perfectly accepted son, that's a state of being, so we too, even though we remain in this world, we are God's beloved and perfectly accepted sons and daughters right now. You know, I'm teaching our adult Sunday school class through church history, and if you've been tuning into the podcast, maybe you've been disappointed because we haven't published a new one over the last couple of weeks for for various reasons. There will be a new one going live this week, so you can catch up on that. Um, But this morning we looked at the life of Martin Luther. Martin Luther, that German monk who was instrumental in beginning the Reformation 500 years ago, And he was a monk who had a tormented soul before God. He realized that if God's love was based on his performance, he would never be able to do enough so that God would be pleased and love him. And the kind of love that John speaks of here is the kind of love that set Martin Luther free from anxiety and fear and terror. Martin Luther claimed that if ever a person could have been saved by good works, he says, if anyone could ever find salvation through monkery, then it was him. And yet for all of his good works, he continued to have a tortured soul before God because he was just plagued by his persistent sin in his life. He never had a clear conscience before God in spite of how good he was. He could never Escape the fear of judgment that laid heavy on his soul. Not until he understood this idea. God's love is perfected by grace. It's a gift through what Jesus did. In his brokenness, Martin Luther finally turned to God. He he stopped pointing to his good works to say, God, you should accept me because of my good works. And instead, he realized the freedom of coming to God and saying, God, I realize now you'll accept me because of what Christ has done. And it was in that realization that he finally found some peace for his soul, a sense of freedom, the joy of acceptance, the hope of God's love for him. John has already told us in verse 16 that God is love. And now in verse 17, he tells us, That in this world we are God's vessels in which he stores his infinite love. No wrath or condemnation will ever come upon us because God has embraced us through what Christ has done. Man, if any of you in this room right now or anybody tuning in via the live stream are under that weight that burden of judgment, that sense of insecurity because you just don't know whether you've done enough to please God. And I just beg you like Martin Luther to just stop appealing to your good works, to stop trying to do enough, to just give them up as your reason for God's acceptance of you. And instead simply receive the love that God offers to you through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to hope. There's no other way to peace. There's no other way to godliness than to simply point to Christ as the reason why God should be gracious to you. Like the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, 8, and 9, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Or like the Spirit says in Romans chapter 7 verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. These verses aren't about striving for God's acceptance. They're about receiving the gift of God's grace. As for our news anchor who claims that God is not about hindering people, I I think we put the judging piece to rest. If you feel unsatisfied, then come talk to me and we can look at the other hundreds of passages of scripture that deal with it. But as for God not hindering people, I would say in a sense this news anchor is both right and wrong. And so let me explain. The news anchor fails to understand that man's addiction to sin is actually a self-destructive habit. It leads to ruin and misery. And so God is about hindering people from having all of the wants and desires of their corrupt heart that will ultimately destroy them. God will gladly hinder you from achieving self-destruction. But if you understand that man's greatest good is found in being near to God, that God's desire is that we would be like him, that we would know peace, that we would love, that we would be holy, that we would be wise. And if you understand that it's sin that hinders you from God, and God is what sets us free, if you understand that sin has so warped our minds and hearts that we think doing whatever we want is freedom, then God is not in the business of hindering people because he calls all people to come to himself that they might be free. True freedom for the human heart can only come through the grace that's offered by Christ. Now verse 18 says much of the same thing that verse 17 says, except that John kind of inverts it. We've looked at this quite a bit as we've made our way through 1 John. The way he'll sort of state something positively and then kind of restate it in inverted or sort of negative terms. In verse 17, he speaks about how we have confidence because of God's love for us. Now he's going to speak about why we don't have fear, the inverse. So we recently uh, got a dog, and I call her Stink. Her name is Tinkerbell. We call her Tink for short, and I call her Stink. But it's just amazing how dogs wear their emotions on their sleeve, isn't it? I mean, man, I'm so glad that I don't have a tail, because then I would just be so easy to read but I was home alone with the dog the other day and I took her out to go potty and uh, after a while she just wasn't going potty and so I I called her to myself and I didn't have shoes on and my yard is dirt right now and so I didn't want to go get her and I called her to myself. She's a puppy, but she knows the word come here. You know, when you say it with that nice, come here. She knows. And uh, instead of obeying she just looked at me and uh, I knew that she understood my command and I knew that she was just in rebellion against me and so after like sweetly calling her gently calling her kindly inviting her for a little while I stomped towards her with very obvious body language of my own that I was upset by her rebellion and and within two steps if you have a dog you know Within two steps, she gave the the dog body language that knows that she's just busted. She like shrank into herself. The tail stopped wagging and went between her legs. The ears went back in shame. She tried to like melt into the floor to disappear. You know what I'm talking about. She was afraid of punishment. Because she willfully disobeyed me. She knew what my expectation was and she decided to do what she wanted instead of what I was asking her to do. This is the kind of fear that John actually wants to eradicate from the Christian heart. If and when we fail God, if and when we sin, our hearts should be heavy with sadness. Our hearts should be heavy with brokenness, that we've walked away from the God who loves us, who calls us gently and sweetly to come to him. Our hearts should hurt for our sin, and they should drive us back to God in repentance. But we as Christians should never feel fear that God will punish us by removing his love from us. That God will not do. That God cannot do. And even my dog is a little example of this. I mean, as much as she might disobey me and incur my wrath, I'm not going to throw her out of the house. I'm not going to boot her. And we as Christians should not fear the punishment of God. Because God has already given His love to us. It's already perfected in us. It's already complete. It's to the fullest measure. God may chastise us. He may discipline us. There certainly will be consequences if we sin. But in anger, God will never exact upon us the penalty for sin that we deserve. Because that was laid on Christ. And there's now no fear of condemnation in our hearts. And frankly, we, we shouldn't even have to fear the punishment of sin because when we think about the wounds that our sin inflicts upon the heart of God, the anguish of wounding God should be sufficient suffering in our hearts to send us back to God in repentance. That God would grieve over our sin should wound us far more than any fear of punishment. I heard a pastor say once that for the Christian, in one sense, sin is far less serious for the Christian. And in another sense, sin is far more serious for the Christian. It's less serious because God's love for us is already perfected in us, there will be no punishment for sin. We need not worry that God will reject us because of our sins. When a non-Christian sins, though, they are storing up greater and greater amounts of God's wrath against them. On the day of judgment, all of their sins will be accounted for and they will be required to account for them. And when they sin against God, they are filling up To a greater measure, God's wrath. Christians can't store up God's wrath because Jesus drank the wrath of God down to the very dregs on our behalf. And so, in that sense, when a Christian sins, the sin is far less consequential because we're not storing up wrath. But in another sense, our sin as Christians is far more serious. And the reason it's more serious is because we understand God's love for us. How could we, who know how much God loves us, still willfully disobey? If God abides in us and he loved us at such great personal cost, giving up his son for our sake, if God has chosen to accept us so freely and give us grace so abundantly and banish all of our fears of judgment, through his love, if God has chosen to share with us his kingdom and his glory even while we were unworthy of those gifts, if God has chosen to call us sons and daughters of God and adopt us and make us inheritors of all that is his, how incredibly and deeply offensive is our sin against this God when we choose to do something that is unloving towards him? so much more serious because we now know the depth of love that God has for us and still we rebel against him when we sin it's as if even as God embraces us as Christians we spit in his face there's no need to be afraid of punishment we should just be broken-hearted that when we rebel against God we we know better We use our confidence and our fearlessness against him to dabble in sin, and then then we come back to him. And in that sense, the sin of a Christian is way more serious because we know better. Now before I close, I just want to make one more comment on fear. Some people who are Christians do feel fear. They feel the fear of judgment. They feel the fear of death, the fear of punishment. And if that's you, then I want to just propose to you that you don't actually know the love of God. You're like Martin Luther. You, you, you believe in God. You know he's there. But you've really not come to grasp what Christ's blood on the cross has done for you. And if that's you, then I think John is speaking to you. Telling you to turn to God in faith. That there's no need for fear because if you repent of your sins, God will accept you too. He will fill up to the fullest measure his love for you as well. But I think that John's not speaking comprehensively here. And so I think I want to give just a, a warning. I'm sure that John would say there's another category of person who feels fear. This is the person, or I'm sorry, John says that there's no fear because of love. But I think that John would admit that there's another kind of person, the kind of person who has so seared their conscience and so embraced worldliness and evil that they no longer feel the fear of judgment at all. I would say this is our news anchor, our news anchor who's so confident in himself that he thinks that God won't judge him for the things that he's done. People like this have banished fear not by accepting the love of God but with the pride of man that rejects the claim that God is just and he will judge us for all of our deeds. Like our news anchor, these are people that just don't believe that God would judge anyone and so they're just reckless in their fearlessness because they reject the concept of judgment. And I would ask you this morning if you feel no fear Consider why you feel no fear. If you feel no fear because Christ has become your rescuer, praise God for that. I encourage you, press on in your confidence that Christ has won your redemption. You have nothing to fear because God's love has been perfected in you through Christ. But on the other hand, if you feel no fear of punishment Or judgment this morning. Because you have chosen to banish that concept from your mind. Then I want you to be warned. Because even by hearing this message. And refusing to heed God's word to repent and turn to him. You are storing up more wrath for yourself. Your heart might be light as a feather right now because you've suppressed any sense of guilt. You refuse to acknowledge your sin before God. But if you don't repent right now for your terrible and egregious sins against a holy God, then you need to leave the room right this second. Because by even hearing this warning, you are storing up more wrath. You should shut off the live stream because you're incurring greater judgment You're filling up to the fullest measure, not God's love towards you, which he offers in Christ, but God's wrath towards you because you reject that offer of grace. And the day of judgment will come and you will bear the full weight of your sins without any grace. And I shudder to think of the state of your ruined soul on that day when your rebellion against God comes to an end and he pours out on you the just wrath. Towards your sin. This is a God who offers you forgiveness and love. Don't reject it. Don't refuse it. So let me just close with this. God's love resting on us, it removes judgment. It removes the fear that we feel. But it does increase our fear of God, and rightly so. God's grace has saved us, and by his grace, God loves us. And we know that he will never remove his love from us because this is a gift that he has given to us gladly, freely, willingly. But with the fear of punishment banished from our hearts, we should find a new fear that settles on our hearts, a right fear. This is the fear of displeasing God. The fear of displeasing the God who loves us so much. We don't fear his rejection, but we do fear grieving his heart. We fear his holiness. We fear his righteousness. We fear his power and his glory. We long to be near him and we fear to be far from him. Where else could we go? 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves From every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since God has poured out his love on us and we no longer face judgment and we no longer live in the dread of his punishment for sin, since we have been promised eternal life in his kingdom and we've been given the gift of his indwelling Holy Spirit, let us cleanse ourselves from all sin and pursue holiness and righteousness out of reverence for God. And we know that because God's love abides in us, we will find God's favor to do this. We will succeed in this endeavor because that's what God desires for us. Let me pray. Lord God, I offered to those listening... A description of the Christian message of hope. That there's salvation in Christ Jesus and in his name alone. And God, I offered the warning that your word gives. That without repentance and faith in Christ, each person will be accountable for their own deeds and judged accordingly. And they will be found wanting in your eyes. Because there is no fear of God in the human heart by nature. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work, God, for any who are far from you, that you would, in love, predestine them as well and open their eyes and allow them to see that there is the offer of love in Christ. And I pray that they would place their faith in you. And for those of us who already know this wonderful message of truth, then, Lord, accomplish exactly what your word says. That we can know with confidence that there will not be judgment on the day when we stand before you because Christ has secured our salvation through his work. Lord, banish fear from our hearts. That we would no longer be afraid of punishment for sin, but instead, Lord, that we would feel grief when we sin against you. And we would be eager to return to you that we would long for nothing more than to be close to you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.